Hello and welcome to episode 150 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. Gentlemen, congratulations. Episode 150. We've made it. As always, folks, my name is Jonathan Reimer. Joining me this evening, Christopher Sines and Christian Aparicio. Gentlemen, good evening and congratulations on 150. How many podcasts, Jonathan? Do you have the stats? How many podcasts make it to 150? Not that many make it to 150. I think the average podcast lasts somewhere between like 11 and 17 episodes. Like it's a tiny, tiny number. There's a lot of work, right? I think all three of us can attest. You also got to think though, LAC has to be super fortunate, right? Like defenders are coming up on 250. I think Heart of LAFC has come up on, on 300. Counter Press, I think is also coming up on 150. So, you know, really, really awesome to have such a strong podcast community, you know, in the black and gold. And you've only mentioned a few. There's been some newer, you know, additions, right? There's Voices of Black and Gold doing their thing. There's LAF Season Filtro. If you speak Spanish and want no filter, Dale Black and Gold. So very fortunate. Bilingual. Somos LAFC. Somos LAFC, one of the OGs. FSA, FSA, they're getting close to 150 as well, too. Not really football related, but black and gold culture related. They're on a hiatus right now. Yeah, I was going to say, with Dwee's gone, I I don't know. Because I didn't, didn't, you know, the backyard is not there. There is no backyard anymore. Yeah, backyard's gone. Sad, sad to see the backyard go. But uh, I think Dweez will still be popping in for some pods from Japan. And given the fact that it has absolutely nothing to do with the soccer being played by LAFC, I don't think it's going to affect the pod too much. There's a couple new ones that have popped up this year as well, too. So, I mean, it's it's good to see the fam growing. I, I love to see it. Have we forgotten anyone in this list? I feel like remiss if we were to have left someone out in this list. Are uh, we LAMC? Are we? <laughs> For those of you that go back all the way to the LA ball watchers, like some of the original, I think Somos LAFC. I don't know if we give yeah. a shout out to them. It's They've beer been showers. OGs. There's, beer showers. New There's oh, the new dude. one with uh, Travis Helwig. That he's yeah. uh, uh, happy foot, sad foot. That's yeah. right. The has one is it, the number one podcast named after a podiatrist office that's no longer open or something like that. <laughs> that's a great title. They could definitely claim that all the way. I, I love it. The Luke clip. Oh my gosh, LGBTFC, of course. Luke's show. That's a fantastic show. I almost feel like I should pop over to my podcast app real quick and make sure I haven't forgotten anyone else because I, <laughs> I know I know we'll hear it from them if we don't. Yeah. But much love. To all the pod fam, we have gotten completely off the rails here. No, 150 already. though, 150. It's a big Yay, deal. All I right. Agree. All right. Century and a half, Mark. We'll take it. Uh, folks, we do have a guest today. We're going to have an opponent's correspondent, Dan Crook. He comes to us from the third degree covering FC Dallas, Northern Texas football. So it'd be good to get an opcore, get us all ready for Dallas. But we got a couple games to recap, gents. So let's go ahead and dive into it. First of all, Conca Champions, a match that completely threw our predictions for the weekend's match versus Seattle off because this game ended up being much more of a nail-biter than any of us saw at the onset. We cruised into it. We had ourselves a 3 nothing lead. All we had to do was bunker down, and I think all of us predicted that we were going to be able to storm, get that first goal, put it away, and put in the subs. I believe that was all of our prediction going into this game, either starting with subs and riding it out, or if the A-team starts, we're at least going to get the goal. And and that absolutely did not happen. We end up losing the game 2-1. It, it takes a late bit of Carlos Vela magic 
in order to help us see through 4-2 onto the next round. But it got a little hairy there for a while. When we went down one nothing. it was like, okay, we've got the lead, no big deal. They scored the second goal, and you could just, it was a palpable tension that entered the Mo at that point in time. It was a little dicey there as they had a couple shots just barely missed, some big saves by McCarthy, a couple of really good looks on goal. And at the end of the day, you have to say LAFC missed a lot of chances to put this game away early. At the end of the day, we had to use a lot of minutes from key players as we look to move on to the next round. So before we talk about that next round, gentlemen, your reflections on the game versus Alajuelense. I agree with you. There was a lot of missed chances. It's not like we didn't control the match. Even when we were down, we had the better of the chances. And the goalie also had some outstanding saves themselves. And maybe some of them worked a little close to him, but still had to make the saves. They were on goal. We didn't put them away. So I agree with you in terms of having to use up minutes. Lesson learned, hopefully, for some of the younger players that were in the lineup, specifically Stipe Buke not putting away some chances, but he has been playing well. I think the goals will come, even though he has won so far. But Vela's goal was ridiculous, to be honest with you. I think the little stutter step in the six-yard box to somehow put it back onto his left and naturally should have been a right-footed shot. Open up his you know, body to put it on the top left corner, top bins. Vela still doing Vela things, even though he does it at a different pace. Yeah, it definitely was a lot closer than I think a lot of us had anticipated. Jonathan, you know, you and I had talked about the likelihood of Costa Rica come or the Costa Rican side coming and getting a win and, and you know, what they would have to do. And I tell you, man, when we were down 2-0, they had gotten another goal and it, we hadn't scored. We would have had to have gone to penalty kicks. And I mean, it was definitely not one of those situations that uh, was comfortable, to say the least. But we ended up pulling it out, and we won, and we moved on. That's all that really matters. Now I'm looking forward to seeing taking us north of the border and going into Vancouver. We head to British Columbia to take on the Vancouver Whitecaps in the next round. And I have to say, my humble opinion, I think Alahuelense is a tougher opponent than the Whitecaps. Uh, Whitecaps, having watched a couple of their games so far this season, which I love, love being able to watch every team's games on season pass, as frustrating as navigating through the app might be at times, the ability to watch all these games has been such a bonus, especially to be able to, to do research for an upcoming opponent. It's a great asset to have. But in watching them play, they, they just do not look like a team that's really connecting the ideas together from front to back. I think especially in the midfield, there just looks like a lot of confusion, a lot of ideas that are not really going anywhere. And I think we have the ability to pick them apart. Now, playing away at Vancouver, though, is something that LAFC has struggled to do in the history of this club. But it does always seem like those matches have hit us at really difficult times in the season. Like we had a really big game right before or right after, you know, a Derby match or a big interconference rival game that sort of preceded or came right after our matches versus the Whitecaps. So I don't think they've always necessarily gotten the best of us. And in a home and away two game leg, I feel like the black and gold is going to absolutely run them over. They do have a pretty good goalkeeper in Takeota, Taco, as I like to call him. He's a phenomenal shot stopper, can get down left and right really quick. Definitely has the ability to spill some balls back out on rebounds, though. So if you pry a lot of pressure to him, we might be able to sneak one back there as well, too. But definitely my favorite player on that team. Tristan Blackman. He's just such a beast on the back line for them. I regret 
the fact that he had to leave our team, unfortunate circumstances, I know, but uh, he looks really good for them. And that's somebody who certainly plays against us well too. Gentlemen, your thoughts on the Whitecaps? It's definitely going to be when we go to BC Palace, it's a stadium, you know, the artificial turf, the ball doesn't play true. It is LAFC is not the only team that struggles in playing in, in that kind of an environment. So I think that it's absolutely imperative that we make an impact on our home match and trying and make as big of a lead as we can so that we're not relying on trying to acquire a, a higher aggregate or anything like that when we play in Vancouver. I agree that their biggest advantage isn't their play. It's going to be their field. And I still don't understand how the three Pacific Northwest teams don't have real grass when it rains so much there. But was my mind that they all decided to get some plastic stuff to play on for the beautiful game. But I think that match, they'll they'll have the advantage just because they understand the awkward bounces and the, where the rug has been set better than the other places. And usually they have that kind of advantage at home throughout the league every year. So, But I agree with you, Jonathan, that LAFC has the talent, the depth uh, that we've seen the last couple of weeks to to be able to manage both games, in my opinion. And if need be, I think Chirundolo has to prioritize these games when they come up. I'm willing to, as a fan, sacrifice some of the league play so that we can get into that next round and see who we face, whether it's Philly or Atlas. So first leg is going to be on the 5th. That will be in Vancouver. Second leg back here at the Mo on the 11th in beautiful, sunny Los Angeles. Hopefully it's sunny by then. I'm, I'm tired of all this rain. Christian, I have to echo your sentiments completely here. It, it astonishes me that places like British Columbia and Portland and Seattle, places you would typically connect with the word grass, don't seem to have a whole lot of grass available for soccer. Maybe maybe it's all gone elsewhere, but uh, yeah, well, uh, astonishing. I think that the Seattle stadium gets a little bit of a pass because it's a football stadium first, soccer stadium second. And obviously the tenants, the main tenants, the Seattle Seahawks are going to want to play on whatever they want to play on. Even Vancouver, based on the weather, I don't know. Maybe that's part of the reason why they play in a dome. I honestly, I give zero slack for Portland. They have no excuse, especially because they were one of the first soccer-specific stadiums, especially that they have uh, the the Thorns playing there. Uh, and they have advertised themselves as such a big soccer community. You would think that they would have everything that makes a proper stadium. Either way, it's going to be a fun match. I think we should safely anticipate us making it through Vancouver. And then, like you mentioned earlier, the the next opponent's going to be, or the next two opponents are really where a CCL trophy is going to be earned if we're going to make it through the two of them. Speaking of things in the Pacific Northwest, why don't we go ahead and transition the conversation to our nil-nil draw versus the Sounders this past weekend. It was a very interesting game, one in which LAFC yielded the vast majority of the possession. It ended nearly 60-40 in Seattle's favor. They had the lion's share of the attacking opportunities, but none of those opportunities really amounted to a whole lot. And at the end of the day, Based on true chances, it ended up being fairly even. So here we see this new Dolo Ball era of LAFC on the road really taking shape, right? Resolute defense, physical defense, and then trying to win those long balls over the top, get in behind and, and press late in the halves. And ultimately, a few shots 
that probably should have gone in frustratingly did not for both sides. Uh, there were definitely some opportunities Seattle had that I think, you know, 50% of the time they score on. And there were some opportunities for LAFC that frankly, I think 75, 80% of the time should be in the back of the net that we kind of frustratingly squandered. And I think that's really become the storyline of this game is defensive solidarity, but the offense sputtering a little bit. So gentlemen, my question to you is, are you concerned at this point about Stipe Buk and Quadwo Mahala Opoku up top as options when Vela and Buanga can't come in and dominate a game based on rotation? No, I'm not. I think that those players have put up a large amount of shots on goal and finding the back of the net is something that is bound to happen. I think that two years ago when we had our season where we didn't make the playoffs and our XG was so high and it was like unrealistic why we weren't scoring. But at that point in time, we were also giving up a lot of goals as we had done under Bob Bradley, right? Our defense was not always the most solidified back that we had needed. So with that, the fact that our defense is solid this year and we are still putting up, we're winning except for this most recent game, and we've tied because of the goals just didn't go in the back of the net, I would rather be in this situation with a very strong defense and potent attackers that are putting, that are having shots and having opportunities to put it on frame, uh, and they just haven't gone in. Keep in mind, too, you know, you look at some of the saves that the Alawalense goalie had and and uh, Stefan Fry had. They played extremely well. And, and so I think you also have to give credit to the goalkeeper in these situations, but I'm not concerned at all with LAFC and where they're at. To answer your question, I'm not concerned about Opoku because he's usually at least on frame, notwithstanding this last weekend. And he, he's been scoring pretty consistently. So not for him. We'll see if his confidence is down because he couldn't put the ball behind in the net. Sipe Buke, he he's new to the league, so he may be a little inconsistent. Right. I mean, he had a goal. So hopefully that opens up his eyes and brings confidence in some upcoming matches because he will get opportunities because of the rotations that are coming up. But Opoku, he's been there, done that. He's been here for a few years. So I'm not too concerned about him. It's Buke who I think is going to need to work on his consistency in terms of putting more goals away in comparison to the amount of shots and the quality shots that he's getting. For Stipe, I have to say it does look like his link-up play is getting marginally better as each game goes on. I feel like his passing, or at least his understanding of where he needs to be when the next pass comes, looks like it's getting a little bit better. There were a few times, you know, he was in a really good space at what could have been the end of a pass, and the pass just didn't make it to him, or the person on the ball didn't see him, didn't realize he was going to be in that spot. So I think as that awareness increases, the three of them will look a little bit better. The greatest strikers in the world miss sitters from time to time. It was just unfortunate that Mahala had like three, four within a 10 minute span there at the end of a, you know, a nil nil game versus a bitter rival. It uh, Those tend to stand out in the memory a little bit more, you know, whether it's the, uh, the Christian Ramirez curse or, you know, going back even, even further back than that. One could argue about our, our first ever third DP player whose name shall not be mentioned missing, you know, sitters, but uh I digress. We move on. Any any final thoughts on the game as a whole versus Seattle? Are you happy with the draw and the one point on the road? I think most of the community seems to have settled that that's a decent enough outcome at the end of the day. Or are you frustrated that three points were there for us and we couldn't take it? I'm satisfied. This is the inverse of what 2019 was, right? Where it was Seattle sitting back and countering. I think 
part of the the strategy had to do with the turf and the amount of minutes that the team had played in the last couple of weeks. And I'd say Chirinola is very pragmatic and can play in several different ways and still manage to be solid at the back, but also be dangerous when we have the opportunities. And he set up the team to be able to do that, absorb pressure, show our defensive prowess, like Chris said, and be able to quickly you know, turn defense into offense at the right times or hold the ball to kind of offload some pressure. So I was impressed with the patience defensively, the ability to keep the team in front of us defensively and not giving up any real quality chances or not too many of them. And when we did, we had McCarthy be, be, being able to make quality saves. So all in all, it was solid. And I thought getting a draw made sense. And we could have you know, taken three points at the end, but that's not always going to happen, especially if we have less chances than we usually do. Yeah, honestly, everything that Christian just said, I agree with. I think that I'm, I'm definitely content with walking away from Seattle with one point, given the fact of how many games we played in in the recent week and the fact that Seattle has the field condition that is not what we're most used to playing that is an advantage for Seattle so I, I'm totally content with it I'm happy we got to rest Chiellini I'm a little concerned about Kellen Acosta looking like he picked up a hamstring injury late in that game I doubt we'll get any kind of solid information with the club. We still have no idea what's going on with Ryan Hollingshead other than uh, he obviously didn't make the trip to Seattle. So the injury is as bad as I think many of us had had feared, but who knows? I mean, it's, you know, this club just so rarely gives out any kind of honest information. I mean, how long was Julian Gaines out with a busted pelvis? And we never heard any more than that, right? Did like to see some of the kids uh, make the 18, Duaneus starting to get some minutes. I am a little bit curious as to, it seems like Duaneus has moved up the depth chart on Chrysostomo. And what do you think Danny Chrysostomo, Chrysostomo, however you say his last name's place, is going to be in the roster if Duaneus is ahead of him right now? I think that players like that, Chrysostomo, Duaneus, they're going to be part of LAFC too, I think, for at least this season to just be able to continue to get minutes and to see playing time. You know, we'll talk about LAFC too just in the next bit. But, you know, I think that that's why there are a lot of those players. And ultimately, when you look at Eric Duenas, he is someone that has been talked about in a high regard with this club from his early on days in the academy, making his debut very early on and being in and around the club. So, you know, I don't think anybody is necessarily shocked that Eric is in a position to start to see minutes, especially when there is so much positive opinion coming out about him and his abilities. What I'm surprised about is that he played in the midfield. And that's awesome that it, he can show that versatility. And just like Latif was converted from a winger to a midfielder, if we can find the right attributes and turn to see something... That's great. And if he's ahead of Chris Ostomo, then good for him, too. That's not an easy spot to win, to to be that fifth midfielder at such a young age, to be an option. And Chirondolo looks at the bench and he points to you. That must be a good feeling. So I'm happy for him and his progress. And it continues despite he, him having an injury not too long ago. Well, speaking of midfield depth, I suppose that brings us to the next point in today's show. And that is, per Tommy Scoops, again, 
Tom Bogert works for the league. So when he teases and reports things, remember, that's basically MLS teasing and reporting things here, right? LAFC are in advance talks to sign Polish youth international midfielder Mateusz Bogus. He's currently a Leeds United player. He's been on loan with Ibiza for a while now. Six goals, seven assists in 46 appearances while on loan. I, for one, look. Ilya Sanchez cannot keep handling the kind of minutes he's been taken on. We're already one injury away from being very, very short in the midfield. The emergence of Tillman has been a blessing on the midfield. But if Acosta goes down or Ilya keeps being asked to handle this kind of workload, I, I have some concerns about our midfield. Do you think this alleviates those concerns if this potential U22 DP comes through? Yes, <laughs> to answer your question, and I hope it does. And I, hope, I mean, he's spoken of in high regard. Obviously, we have the spot for him to come in and take that U22 initiative DP spot. So I hope it gets done. I haven't seen a lot of tape on him, so I can't speak to the things that he's done with Leeds or with Udi, is it Ibiza or Ibiza, if you're from Spain. I'm going to go ahead and trust you on this yeah. one, Mr. Aparicio. I think you probably have a, a firmer grasp on it than Mr. Reimer does. So Yeah, Aparicio in Spain, by the way. <laughs> See, yeah, I can't I, even get that right, right? No, so, like, no, just... no, 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 I'm Aparicio. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm I'm happy that there is this this kind of news in this in this kind of position, right? In the midfield, like you said, because you're right. If Acosta is is down, then it makes it tough. Well, we're, we're asking Chrysostomo when the youngsters to step in, and that's not positive especially with champions league i'm more concerned with champions league coming up right the injury concerns we really need to temper that and manage that coming into the, the first couple of weeks of the next month i would have really liked if this was a left back or a right back signing as well too but uh good the midfield does seem some depth uh, chris i do think that this club is going to continue to build out this depth we've talked about jose cifuentes being on the move in some short time we are all sure of it and I don't think that this is going to be the last midfielder that, that we see play for the black and gold at some point this season. I do think that if we were to sign this player, we would end up signing another because uh, we do have a lot of matches ahead of us. Uh, like we've said in previous episodes, well north of 50 matches this season, all competitions taken into consideration. So we're definitely going to need some players to be able to step in and hopefully the performance doesn't drop off. I have to say, this type of player seems right in LAFC's wheelhouse. 21-year-old player struggling to find a spot at a big club where he's currently out on loan. They might be looking to cash in and move on from the player. I definitely think this is more likely than the next two rumors we've heard. But you certainly can't get away from these former Liverpool players that have been circling around LAFC in the Twitter sphere. Chris, I'm just going to go straight to you on this one as our resident scouser. What do you think about the rumors around Firmino and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain? So Bobby Firmino, for me, would be a lot of fun to see. Uh, I, not to say that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain wouldn't. I just, I I find that Firmino is a lot more entertaining to watch. You know, he's a little bit up there in age. Definitely Oxlade-Chamberlain is a younger player. But I think that Firmino, the Brazilian, would do very well as a nine for us. But even if I had to settle for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, I'd take him too. He's definitely a very versatile player. And then there was also rumors too of uh, Lukaku, right? There was a uh, a video coming rumors around. Rumors he kind of started himself, let's yeah. be honest. But yeah, I mean... 
Romelu Lukaku was doing a, a podcast or something in Los Angeles, and he was just talking about being in downtown LA and potentially playing for the MLS. And so it's uh, it's it's an exciting time to be an LAFC player. But if we were to pick up Metus Bogus, that would take up our last designated player spot. So then anything else for Firmino or for a player of the quality like Lukaku. It would have to end up being like another Gareth Bale type of deal where you're using Garber Bucks to finagle the contract to play down and then, you know, almost a guaranteed designated player the following season and things like that. And, I, you know, it's not clear cut how you would be able to get two of these players that we're talking about. That's it. Of the two that makes more sense for the team would probably be for me now just because we need a number nine. And I think his clever hold of play is some of the stuff that made Liverpool over the last, maybe not this year, last year and a half, but previous handful of years. So unstoppable with Salah and Mane being able to to kind of clip into those runs with his backflips or just flick-ons and back heels and it would just be exciting. But Oxlade-Chamberlain, I think he'd be good, although we have a lot of wingers which is sometimes what he prefers. Like in the midfield, he'd be strong, right? He comes on a TAM deal, being able to be that number eight that goes up and down. The only thing that concerns me with him, he's always been injury prone. Even though Firmino was the last couple of years, I think at a different level and a different physicality in the Premier League, I think he could be a little bit more durable here. Firmino could. I don't think either of these players fiscally fit into LAFC's plans or budget this year. We do have a U22 slot open. We do have an international roster slot open. So who knows if uh, Mateus Bogus is, is really going to be a DP contract. That's just our speculation, given that he's 21, that he could be a U22 initiative. But theoretically, he could come and, and leave that DP slot available. You still couldn't use the DP slot on either Oxlade-Chamberlain or Firmino because it would have to be a U22 initiative DP slot or we would lose the salary relief we're currently taking advantage on. So the believability meter is pretty low for any of the three of these, Lukaku included for me, unless those players themselves are willing to take less money to come to LAFC, which I find hard to believe. I mean, the believability of them coming to LAFC, I think, is low. The believability of these players coming to the MLS is not. I think that if these are not the landing spots for LAFC, I think that we will see Bobby Firmino, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, or Romelu Lukaku playing in the MLS at some point over the next 18 months. Well, speaking of things that were completely shocking, a bombshell dropped this week, of which we have some disagreements about here on the pod. So let's go ahead and just come out and say it. Tom Bogert allegedly reporting once again, Tom Bogert works for MLS. So this is MLS putting this out there, that former LAFC assistant general manager or co-general manager, I forget what his final last title was. Will Koontz has joined the galaxy. I have to tell you, gentlemen, this does not sit well with me. I am angry. Chris, talk me off a ledge. Bro, I mean, we talked about it briefly before the podcast. Will was by far one of the nicest people that we've ever interviewed. And he spent so much time talking to us off camera. I think we stayed on for like an additional hour with him. And he was just talking shop. And I mean, by far. One of the most down-to-earth people that I've ever had with LAFC. And so, you know, I think that 
for him, it's a business. And, you know, you even made mention, Jonathan, that he's a lifelong Mets fan and the bro- and the guy works for the Yankees. Like, I, I think that for him, he looks at it as like, hey, it's a business. It's a business opportunity. And, you know, he I don't I, I can't think of any excuses. I just I'm also not going to sit here and bash him either. This is one of those times where uh, I do want the nice guy to finish last. And that's fine. And it's because of where he's going to be associating with or where he's going to be working. It's nothing to do with him, the person. It's just I just don't want him to do well. And that's, you know, once once it's between the lines and in game and uh, his work performance, this is where I feel like I hope he didn't learn as much as he probably did from JT. Okay, right now, the Galaxy LAFC rivalry sucks. It sucks. Okay. It's not entertaining. It's not something. I mean, we look forward to it because it's the derby and it's the rivalry, but it's not exciting. What if, I mean, again, like I've always said, I want the Galaxy to be good, not better than LAFC, and I never want them to beat us, but I want them to be good to where it's a competition and it's exciting to watch. And you go in and there is the the challenge of victory, right? What if Will Koontz ends up doing that? What if he ends up bringing this club to where they are now a competition against LAFC and we don't sit here and look at them as, you know, this pile of just wasted ability? I'm fuming at what you just said, Chris, but I will I will try and quell my rage for a moment and just express how I feel about Will Raheem Koontz right now. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. Is that his that middle he... name? No, that's a joke. Okay. That's I'm I'm alluding that he is right. a snake like Raheem Edwards. There you go. You figured it, it out. Got it. The the most notable turncoat, not the first turncoat. I believe that uh, was what Nico, Nico Hamalainen. Nico Hamalainen. Yeah. yeah. So he, he's, he's not joining, you know, good ranks here. Right. This, this is an auspicious list to be on in the first place here. But I, I'm astonished that he would go from the black and gold to the galaxy. First and foremost. I think he's way too talented to go somewhere like Carson. Uh, he's a brilliant and was very kind to us individual. I, I just thought he was due for an NFL or a major league baseball team, or he was going to Europe. I, I thought there were big things in store for him when he left LAFC to see this be his landing spot is thoroughly disappointing for, for someone that, that we respect, right? I, you know, this is, this is, a shameful thing to do and place to go. And and obviously, you know, look, we, we wish him all the financial success in taking on this venture, but but to echo Christian's sentiments here, I, I wish him no success on the field. From the Galaxy standpoint, this is very on brand for them, right? To to just carbon copy repeat what someone else is doing and just steal their talent and bring it over to their team without having to do the work themselves to find these types of people is very on brand for them. A lot of people have been talking about how MLS 1.0 it is to have your head coach be your general manager, that that's just not how successful teams operate in in today's market. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, very shortly down the road, Will Koontz does become the general manager for the Galaxy. But I mean, he certainly brings a credibility that Klein absolutely does not have with him representing 
Major League Soccer in the last collective bargaining agreements and, you know, being the legal counsel that helped put the documents together to understand how this league operates, it, it certainly gives them an advantage. And now they are less likely to get caught breaking the rules or break the rules. Will doesn't strike me as the type of individual that would be complicit in any rule breaking anyway. So, you know, I, I get the move from the Galaxy standpoint, but it's hard to not feel like this is a massive, massive slap in the face to the black and gold community. And I get it. He probably didn't want to move, right? He wanted to keep the same house or address. So only game in town once you leave LAFC is to take a step down. And I get it. It makes sense. I don't know. You know, you're upset. I I get it. I'm disappointed. I'm very see, I'm disappointed, right? Like I'm I'm not sitting here and I'm not like angry. I'm just super disappointed, right? Because of 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 all the things, but see. Let me talk to you about this, right? So we had heard a rumor that Will was interviewing for the general manager's position for San Jose when there was the opening for the San Jose position, right? Would we have been mad at him if he would have gone to San Jose, right? Like yes, that's... But, but not definitely not as mad as going to Carson. I'm not even mad. I'm like you. I'm just, I think he could do better. Like AG is going to suck his soul. <laughs> it's, it's, I, it's like, I... it's a place where, you know, unless you're slinging Herbalife, that hasn't gone well like for over a decade, right? I think once the league has grown and there are more rules in place where they're not allowing one team to write the rules, they haven't succeeded, right? So they're bringing in someone that can, you know, maneuver those things. But I think he's bigger than that. I think there are other markets, other places that he can go. Will he have better support and better range to be able to do the things that he was able to contribute to here? And it's unfortunate, but I'm not upset. I think I think he's going to be disappointed pretty soon myself. I'm upset. I'm upset. But, you know, maybe he just cut maybe he just cuts his chops as an interim general manager and he gets a job next season, bro. He's not even there long enough to make an impact. Dennis DeClose tried to do something. And this is a highly regarded man who was able to navigate the Mexican Federation and do things there, you know, that progressed the program before this last stint of the world cup and he kind of withered and left <laughs> so i just feel upset that he well Koontz is going to go to a place like this and i don't think whatever things that they're saying they're going to change it's not going to happen i really don't feel like it's going to happen so it's it's sad for him to be honest with you and sad that they're they're gonna probably get some trade secrets from him and that's that's another thing that i i'm not happy about because, like Jonathan said, it's a little bit of a turncoat move, but it is a business, and I get it. Hopefully, he had that non-disclosure agreement signed. Yeah, but these will be conversations. They won't be in undocumented. You, you, do you trust the galaxy to behind closed doors not ask him questions about LAFC? Come on. No, but at the same time, like, why would we expect any different? Right? Didn't the galaxy just or have a huge fine for offering compensation to players? that are off the books. I'm sure that there's going to be all sorts of backhanded deals. I'm just I just sad. hope Will doesn't become the fall guy for decisions made above him, which is what I think we've already seen in the case of Klein, but uh, I I think all right, all right. We'll, we'll wait and see. This is still early reporting at this point. But again, if we have an MLS spokesperson coming out and saying this, so I think it's it's pretty close to being a done deal and it's it's disappointing to say the least. And I know Will's listened to us before, so I hope you hear this. You traitor! All right. 
Come back, Will. We love you. Come on the show. Tell us why you decided to go to the galaxy. Gauntlet dropped, Will Koontz. Come on Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast and convince me to like you again. All right, friend of the pod. No, no, it's not. He doesn't need you to convince you to like him. He needs to convince you to not be disappointed. There you go. Okay. All right. In the words of Voldemort, I find myself disappointed. All right. Let's wow. let's. Well, I can't quote Voldemort. Is that not? Did I or did I speak the name? Is that what bothers you? I I mean, both now. Yeah. Spoken like a true muggle. <laughs> All right. Lastly, before we go ahead and head to our our opcore, a couple things we wanted to highlight going on in the world. First of which, happy birthday to. Our friend over at Defenders of the Bank, J.R. Lieber, turns 40 today. So uh, big, big 4-0 shout outs to our friend, The Scarf. Much love from all of us here at Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast to you, my friend. And speaking of places, uh, we'd Bro, like to send our... did you see Larry Friedman give him a shout out on his social media? Did you see uh, Killini recorded a video oh, right? saying happy birthday Bro. to him as well, too? Max that's, how you too. Know, that's how you know you made it, right? Like when yeah. Giorgio Chiellini, when the club goes out of their way to get Giorgio Chiellini to wish you a happy birthday, or when the president of the club gives you your own personal happy birthday, like that's, bro, if if it was my birthday, who would I want? I would want. You know, you know who wished me a happy birthday last year and it made my day? It was Team Security Paul. And I was what? like, you know what? I was like, wow, bro. Like, and not only that, he did it in person. He didn't just like send a social media thing or whatever. Like he pulled me aside at the next game and was like, Hey man, I just wanted to say happy birthday. And I was like, Paul, you sweetheart. Like that, that kind of melted me. I'm not going to lie. That's the kind of connection that this club has to its fans that no one else has. But uh, I guarantee you when I hit that fourth floor in about, uh, Oh, gosh, four months here. Uh, it's not going to have the same fanfare, but deservedly so. Scarf is a legend. And when I grow up, if I could be half as cool as him, that would be would be a pretty cool place to be. I guess uh, finally, and somewhat of a sad note and a somber note, but uh, two years ago today, we lost dear Mo. Mo Fascio, vice president of the 3252, leadership of District 9 Ultras, and all-around fantastic dude, unfortunately lost his battle with COVID two years ago today. Someone who we deeply miss, but will forever be ingrained in the black and gold community and culture. And we hope his legacy continues to live on. They are still collecting donations for the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court. You can head over to LAFC's website to throw a donation in that direction. There's still funding efforts being put on by many, many different outlets. We encourage you to support all those. Uh, but to everyone who knew Mo, just we miss you, brother. We love you. And you know, it's, uh, it's still a bummer even two years later that you're not with us anymore. But, uh, you know, as a, a great guest on the show, a great guy. I mean, he was just a wonderful person to be around through and through. And I think his legacy has gotten a chance to live on with us. And still two years later, I feel like the conversation about Mo is just as relevant as, uh, relevant as it was two years ago. So, uh, you know, I mean, hats off to the work you did in the short time you were here to have this kind of impact. But uh, gentlemen, before we move on, any reflections on our dear friend Mo? Just that we miss him and that his memory lives on. All the things he did has inspired a lot of people. And those efforts haven't been wasted. You know, uh, when you guys look at the championship ring that LAFC just recently got, and for there to be an homage to Mo, it just... It just shows how much of an impact he had and for the club to be able to recognize it too and to forever have that ingrained as part of our history 
just uh, super important, you know, and uh, I'm just glad that that his memory will continue to live on for many, many years to come. Amen. And with that, folks, we're going to take our first break and we'll be right back with today's opponent correspondent. This is Nick Cajola, starting trumpet player for LAFC, and you are listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Do it for LA. Joining us this week is our opponent correspondent is Dan Crook. You know him from the Third Degree podcast covering FC Dallas and North Texas SC. You can give them a follow at Third Degree Net on all your social media platforms. Hello and welcome to the show, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. For those of you that were able to join us uh, in previous seasons when we've had Dallas on, Dan and the Third Degree Net have been part of the MLS fold. You know, they said that the Third Degree moniker made a little bit more sense when they were known as the Dallas Burn, but you can still follow all of their social media and blog content. That's Third Degree Net at Third Degree Net, and that's the number three RD Third Degree Net. Uh, Dan, talk to us a little bit about the offseason, huh? There's been a lot of additions and subtractions that Dallas has had. We're going to hit the subtractions first. Lots of defenders. Lucas Bartlett, option was declined. Nanu has ended his loan and went back to FC Porto. Matt Hedges also had an option declined. He was the all-time appearance leader. Frank Ojara, who had mutually agreed to terminate the contract. And Brandon Cervania, who was traded to Toronto for Jesus Jimenez, who we'll be talking about for the additions. But talk to us about these five players and what were some of the holes that were left by their departures? Uh, yeah, really the, the big hole was Matt Hedges, uh, all-time appearance leader for the uh, the franchise, like you mentioned. Uh, his experience in the back line was key to uh, to, to so much that the team's done, the, the double in 2016 and anything since. Uh, Frank O'Hara, you know, a backup to Jesus Ferreira, didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, Lucas Bartlett was a draft pick. Uh, they kind of took the the guy with the best tools to to make the bench. Uh, didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, you know, he's just started for St. Louis the other day, so maybe just uh, different surroundings. Everything came together nicely for him. Really, I, I think that the big thing's been re sort of rebuilding the defense a little bit. Marco Farfan uh, was an absolute revelation um, coming into a team that maybe needed a bit more of a defensive first left back than than Ryan. Uh, Ryan will definitely go back down as a, a, a one of the the modern greats at FC Dallas for all his uh, play in ten positions all over the field, uh, including goalkeeper. But um, you know, bomb forward wasn't really the Nico Estevez way, um, whereas whereas Marco is pretty uh, more adept at staying back, getting forward later on. I think the the final part really was the centre backs. You've got uh, his, uh Jose Martinez, uh, Spanish player. I think he's in his early thirties now. He drops off heavily late in games. Something you may see. Uh, he kind of is now by default the the passer out of the back line in a team that you know, naturally does build from the back obviously bringing in Sebastian Ibiaga to try and plug that experience gap left by Matt Hedges hasn't necessarily favored uh hasn't really I thought he was going to be the, a full-time starter it hasn't proven to be just yet uh coach has gone with 
uh, all three possible pairings he had from his uh, from or at least from the first three centre backs of having uh, Martinez and uh, Nikosi Tafari switching then to Kose and uh, Ibiaga back. You know, uh, I think he's had a game with uh, Ibiaga and Martinez, the more experienced pair. Uh, it, it seems like that's just going to be a, a constant rotation uh, right now. Um, that, that's kind of been the big hole. There's a lot of talk about getting to the summer and, and trying to fill that gap, uh, trying to bring in a, a starter level defender. Beyond that, I think uh, I mentioned Frank O'Hara. Um, he was kind of dragging down the transfer policy over the winter. He had six months left on his contract uh, as a Guy making two million a year, who was, you know, contributing a handful of goals. Uh, he was brought in based on what he did against FC Dallas in the 2017 uh, CCL, and just by the time he got here, he was, you know, four or five years older and four or five years slower. So uh, bringing in Jimenez as a uh, as an exchange for Brandon in Savania, it allows Brandon to have a new environment himself. He'd kind of stagnated. He's just started for Toronto, so he's doing well so far. Uh, Jimenez, we've we've only just seen five, ten minutes of. His uh, visa took quite a while to obtain, so he only got into training about this time last week, actually. So, you know, when you've mentioned a couple of the additions, right? Obviously, Sebastian Ibiaga, big for LAFC over the last season and a half. But of the five, Jose Molato, uh, Jesus Jimenez, Sebastian Ibiaga, Jovain Jesus, and Ahmet Corsa, which are you the most excited to see potentially find their role and establish their footprint with this Dallas offense? Oh, good question. I really want to see how well Giovanni Jesus does when he kind of gets into the rhythm of this team defensively. Uh, he's been a guy that's come in for the last 20 minutes of games uh, right back. He is he's Ryan Hollinshead. He's that guy who, you know, he's bombing forward. He's putting in crosses. He's trying to make his way into the box. FC Dallas now is is definitely more conservative in fullback play. Uh, under Lichu Gonzalez, the whole notion was both fullbacks get forward all the time. Uh, under Nico Estevez, it's stay back kind of you know uh not even one one goes one covers it's it's more be more conservative defensively and entirely and play up through the middle so giovanni jesus is is that guy that you bring on late in games to kind of spark you're chasing a goal you need something going on offensively uh i just really i'm excited to see when he kind of adds that part to his game where he can be a 90 minute player because the attacking side of his game looks phenomenal uh, Ibiaga, uh, really excited to uh, you know, um, I was one well, was definitely excited to see him preseason. Got to speak to him a couple of times. Um, he's made a his opening game, uh, made a really bad, bad uh, attempt at a back pass, and then immediately made this phenomenal uh, rec- 40 yard recovery run, last ditch challenge, absolutely brilliant. Um, his passing has been a little bit off, he's still finding his range. Um, just been a bit, a, a little bit disappointing, just from the notion of, you know, he's he's the guy that you're bringing in with the experience. Uh, when I spoke to him in preseason, he was talking about being really excited to have a bigger role, and uh, in Kosi Tafara, who is in his third, fourth year now, 
um, really seems to have kind of usurped both of the experienced centre-backs to kind of, um, you know, be the go-to. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how Ibiaga kind of continues to gel with the team and maybe, you know, find his way in that second or first centre-back spot. We've talked about early season or even preseason and what the roles of some of these players are establishing themselves. But if we go to current form, right, FC Dallas is in a good place. They're tied for second place. Two, the record is 2-1-1, one, and one. tied with points, seven points, LAFC, Seattle, and Minnesota. In terms of the four matches, you had a loss against Minnesota, a win against the Galaxy, a tie against Vancouver, and then you were able to beat Sporting KC. Tell us about some of the lesser-known players, maybe the, not the ones we've already mentioned, that could you know, come out this weekend. The schedule's been a little congested, so maybe some tired legs. Maybe not so much for FC Dallas, but I think there's some rotation that's going to happen, uh, like you mentioned. Um, I'm actually... I would imagine the lineup is probably going to stay fairly consistent with the last game. Uh, I would imagine the only real... Actually, no, I would say the only change. Uh, I would imagine the coach would probably stick with uh, a centre-back pair on a Tafari and Martinez. Uh, Martin Paz has been has, has been uh, kind of someone who th- flew under the radar last year as a uh, 23, 24-year-old from Holland, signed from Utrecht. Uh, outstanding for Dallas last year. Uh, this weekend, this past weekend, he concedes a penalty, brings down uh, Willie Agada, saves his penalty, VAR catches him an inch off the line, uh, whoever the captain is, Eric Tommy for SKC, took, takes the ball off of Agada, puts the ball down, pass saves the other other side. Um, I mean, the, the things he's kind of doing as a 24-year-old, he is definitely not going to be one of those uh, long-term MLS lifers. He is definitely an investment buy for FC Dallas, but uh, I think certainly in Frisco, uh, we're enjoying him while, while we can. As far as uh, other... Maybe lesser known players. I think really for everyone, it's been Marco Farfan. But you, you guys got a, a season of him. Yeah, he had yeah, a beyond... cameo with us for sure. And I think you know he's spreading his wings a little bit more. I think the the system probably suits him a little bit better as well. Yeah, it definitely. Uh, it, it was so rare to see a trade that was mutually beneficial. But I think the the trade last year, Farfan and. And Holling said definitely worked out for both teams in terms of of what they needed and what they got. Um, I think maybe one to keep an eye on, uh, Siki and Stubbling, centre midfielder, coming off the bench. He'll probably slot in. Um, Actually, has a chance he starts. Uh, Paxton Pomacol did come off of a hamstring injury in the SKC game. It's a little bit of tightness, a little sore. They're going to monitor it during the week, but... If he's not ready to start, you'd see uh, Siki and Sebeling. He was uh, draft pick second round last year, uh, South African, uh, 25, so a little old for a draft pick. Um, but he is just one of those guys you give the ball to and you just stand back and wonder how how he's doing it. Um, that is until he gets to the... Uh, the edge of the box, and then it kind of all, all goes uh, to the pot. But uh, once he gets his final ball in place, uh, I'm ex- excited to see him as a as a player going forward. He's actually uh, his surprise progression was what made Brandon Savania uh, 
you know, expendable enough to trade away to Toronto. So let's go ahead and look ahead to the upcoming match here. What do you think Dallas is going to do tactically to try and defeat the black and gold? What are the particular matchups that you would be focused on from a Dallas perspective? And who needs to win those matchups in order for you guys to walk home with three points? Key thing is getting the ball to Jesus Ferreira in key positions. Uh, Jesus, uh, as you'll see with the national team, uh, NFC Dallas is more of a false nine. uh, And in that tried and trusted false nine manner, if he doesn't get the the ball, he will come back further and further. Uh, Last couple of games, uh, he's, you know, I think... pulled up the part the uh the heat map of the uh first 20 minutes of the last game and his positioning was as a six at that point um typically he's sitting right around in the eights uh with the eights uh he is you know with a false nine you want alan velasco and paul Ariola as the wingers to kind of tuck in ahead of him uh inside but um he's he's kind of just not really uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this because you can't really criticize a guy with three goals from four games too much. Um, he's yeah. Um, when he gets in the right places, he's you know he, it's, it's I guess exactly like the national team, right? Everyone has that frustration of him about when he does eventually get in the right spot, he does finish a chance. He will miss a glaring opportunity, but then he'll put away you know his uh, you know he, he's pretty consistent after that. So. Yeah, the, the key really is getting the ball to him. FC Dallas definitely struggles against teams with mid to low block. Not that you know, and that's not uh, an LAFC trait by any any means. Uh, but teams like SKC, like Minnesota, uh, like Vancouver, um, teams that kind of collapse in on themselves, it denies him the opportunity to not only get the ball but to actually drop back into those spaces that he tries to pick the ball up from, uh, and then the team's kind of scrambling around trying to, to find its shape um as far as matchups ooh, let's see it's it's gonna be you know obviously aaron long going up against jesus as team as national team teammates is a an interesting one uh how how do you see dallas backline deals with with Velo is is always uh you know a, a mystery in itself um you know, uh, Martinez is kind of a, a player that likes to get forward. He likes to be the aggressive center back, attack the ball. Uh, right now, in, in Kersey Tafari, you have someone with recovery pace who can get in behind, who is a ball magnet um, on crosses and corners. It's it's more the the playing out the back. I'm a little bit worried about where you have got a lively front line um, to try and get around. That that's always something for FC Dallas. If you deny the opportunities of passing lanes from the back line, it's just is pass sideways, pass back to keeper. Pass sideways, pass back to keeper. There's not really a whole lot of else to it. Um, you may see someone like an Edwin Cerio, uh drop back to try and uh, just to try and give the numbers advantage. Uh, Serio is working this season on his long ball. So if if there is that kind of uh, not clogging up's the wrong word because we're we're not talking about a team that plays ugly football. Um, but if there is kind of denying FC Dallas the opportunities to break out of the back, to uh, build out of the back, then you may see uh, that point where someone like Sarrio or Martinez is just going to start lumping it upfield. So I guess that brings us to what is your prediction for this weekend's match? If you're so daring as to give Ooh. us a score prediction, we love that. I think 
I'm just going to say a narrow loss for Dallas in some way or another. Still finding their feet on the road. Uh, kind of missed some golden opportunities in, in Vancouver and we're, we're happy to get out of a draw, especially if Paxton Palmer calls her. That's someone who can really change the game for Dallas. Uh, just be kind of uh, happy to get the weekend over with. So what about your predictions for the season? What do you think is the ceiling for FC Dallas? And what do you think of their potential to perhaps take a cup in one of the many side competitions taking place this year in terms of the league last season i think uh i said fourth to seventh and they ended up third somehow a uh, big thing for them is uh there is very little depth uh and a long-term injury can really wipe the team out the same's happened this year really um we've talked a little bit about the, the players that have come in and gone but there hasn't been like a a groundbreaking, a groundbreaking player that's come in. They've kind of stood still to a degree while uh, other teams have built heavily around them. And obviously, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. So I think that that kind of fourth to seventh range still applies uh, right now, doing pretty well. But uh, it's been a fairly kind start to the season. Uh, you know, Minnesota lost aside. Uh, the, the Galaxy aren't really making any waves right now uh, skc hadn't scored a goal before they came into Toyota stadium vancouver had lost both of their games before playing dallas uh, so definitely a coin coin start than uh could have happened i think yeah the focus may be something like the open cup uh you know, this is a team that's owned by the Hunt family. Lamar Hunt's name is on the trophy. Um, it's always one that the ownership uh, prides itself on. Haven't won that since 2016. So maybe it, it wouldn't be shocking if they did uh, put in a little bit more effort into that than they have done in previous seasons. Uh, since, you know, I, I don't think, you know, the support shield is a, is a realistic goal right now. And, you know, MLS Cup is a is a crapshoot at best for for a team like Dallas. Just get your ticket to the dance, and you never know what could happen, folks. Yeah, that's, we would like. That's, sorry, I was going to say that actually used to be the uh, the ownership's uh, strategy was, hey, if we get seventh, we're good. We're there. Chip in a chair, right? It's all you need, folks. Absolutely. Our opponent correspondent this week has been Dan Crook. He joins us from the Third Degree Podcast, covering FC Dallas and Northern Texas SC. Please give them a follow at third degree net that's at the number three rd degree net give them a great follow hey you know what dan before we actually go lafc2 is actually playing north texas sc this weekend is that on anybody in uh the organization's radar is that something you guys are looking forward to they've had great success with the second team uh Definitely uh, a little bit more in USL 1 before the whole MLS Next Pro uh, winning the first season of USL League 1. But uh, we've actually just had uh, the first real, well, I'd say the first real success. You had Ricardo Pepe technically started with North Texas SC before being signed for FC Dallas. That was kind of a, more a PR move than anything. He was really an FC Dallas homegrown that, that went online uh, before his $20 million move to uh whoever it was um Augsburg, that was it sorry jose mulatto he's a guy that came through uh north texas c uh this season um you've got guys like uh Tariq scott would have been the, the best example of a homegrown that's really 
shone through there, but he unfortunately did his ACL in preseason. Uh, Nolan Norris, a uh, centre-back slash left-back, uh, another homegrown that, that just impressed last year with the second team. It's it's been a good uh, a good proving ground for for FC Dallas. Uh, Tanner Testman really wasn't necessarily on the radar of as a homegrown, but that first season he got a, a decent number of games for North Texas SC and himself a homegrown deal. And about fourteen months later, he found himself uh, over in Italy at Venezia. So yeah. Um, it, it'll be it'll be good. It'll be good to uh, to see the league expand, the league slowly get better, and uh, more of these hybrid deals. It'll be I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the idea of that because you know some of these uh, young guys that are coming through the academy, and you, you guys have got a fantastic academy coming through, uh, so you're probably going to experience this before long. A lot of the guys that aren't quite MLS level aren't willing to take the MLS next pro deals. So the hybrid deal that kind of says, hey, this year you're there, next year you're getting MLS money. Those are those are so valuable in not losing players to Europe. Like we've lost uh, uh Jonathan Gomez, uh, now at Real Sociedad, uh trying to think I mean historically someone like a Western McKinney, the next uh the next him that comes through uh Frisco. You don't want to kind of lose out on them for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that the LAFC fans are excited to see there finally being a second team for us to showcase our academy and uh, players that have not had an opportunity to break through the starting 11. You know, while we're on the subject of academies, LAFC announced this week a collaboration with Bayern Munich and forming a new sort of partnership in player development pipeline. And we know that that's something that FC Dallas certainly had with Bayern in the past. How is that news broken in the Frisco slash, you know, North Texas communities? Yeah, that was a, that was a little bit of a strange one to see on this end. Uh, so it, it seems like the phrasing from the teams is, is very similar to the deal that Dallas had. The real difference is the, uh, the, the Academy setup that the, the LAFC is investing in, in Germany. Dallas's uh, relationship with with Bayern was a little bit of an odd one. It was more sending guys out to train over the off season. Uh, they, you know, they get some great development. It did get Chris Richards a move uh, on the cheap to Bayern Munich, and, and now on to uh, Crystal Palace. But um, you know, there was a. Little, it seemed like there was a little bit of resentment. You know, uh, someone like. Uh, Ricardo Pepe would get got sold and and Bayern Munich are like well we wanted a cost we wanted a cut price deal for him <laughs> you know screw the twenty million you could have got somewhere else um, so it seemed like the teams kind of quietly ended that deal uh, Bayern still does have a relationship more so with the ownership and by just through them the Kansas City Chiefs uh, which you know seems more commercial Bayern. Need, you know wants to grow their market beyond Germany German teams don't make sort of NFL money uh what the hunts do with, with Kansas City so it definitely seems like having the marquee club in MLS in, in North America really and the ownership group of that is is in their best interests uh, and again you know Dallas has had you know the top academy for a number of years um you know, it's going to take a little bit of time to uh, to regrow that system. But uh, I covered MLS Next Cup last year, and uh, 
the LAFC age groups, uh, the 14s and 17s were just phenomenal. I mean, yeah, I, you know, we, we all know Bayern's not the best at bringing through youth. I think actually uh, Buzz on, on third degree, I had sort of mentioned, but their thing is they want to pick up those sort of players that they can turn around and make a profit on later on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if they could get an eye on on some of that Southern California talent, I'm sure that's that's in their interests too. Well, thank you. And thank you for letting us sneak that in there at the last minute. Once again, folks, Dan Kirk's been with us from Third Degree Podcast. Please give our friends in North Texas a follow. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show today, folks. We will be right back after the short break with the final segment of today's show. This is John Thorrington, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right, gentlemen, we've just heard from our opponent correspondent about our upcoming match against FC Dallas. Not perhaps the most swimming of predictions on his part for his home team. I mean, typically when we face a team that is significantly underdogged to us, their opcore is usually at least optimistic that their team will pull off a tie. Right. But in this case, his in his own words, best case scenario uh, was maybe a narrow defeat. But it certainly looks like the folks in Dallas are preparing themselves for a beatdown. So my question to you, gentlemen, what are your predictions for this upcoming game versus FC Dallas? I think it'll be a two one win. And I think it'll be narrow just because of the amount of games and probably be a little wasteful, to be honest with you. But I and I think it'll be a comfortable two one, meaning. It'll be 2-0, and in the closing minutes, they get one and make it exciting. I think that uh, LAFC is going to win, and I do believe that Mr. John McCarthy himself is going to earn himself a shutout. That's uh, that's what I think. You know, he got MLS Player of the Week uh, honorable mention by being a, uh, one of the players on the bench, but, uh, you know, Mr. McCarthy, I think that he's going to come in and do us a solid for the game uh, on Saturday. All right. I, I, I'm i starting to worry that LAFC is getting tired, right? A lot of games coming up, crunch time coming in. But I feel like this, this game, we're actually going to have some decent rest. We actually have about a week's worth of rest for. So I think a, a lot of those concerns you don't really have to look at going into this game. I know we do have, you know, a CCL clash coming up. In, in I think we have about a two week break now in, in Conca Champions, so I'm I'm kind of feeling a little more optimistic uh, about this upcoming game versus Dallas, and I, I think we're going to smoke him. I'm going to go ahead and go three nothing. I think that's a trend that we set early on when we were rested that we are going to go ahead and return back to with this game. Uh, so my, I'm going to go ahead and say three nil, gentlemen. Any final thoughts before we call it wraps on one fifty? Absolutely. LAFC fans that are attending the game on Saturday, if you want to double down on your LAFC experience, the next day, Sunday, March 26th at 5 p.m., LAFC 2. We spoke about it with our opponent correspondent. LAFC 2 is taking on the North Texas SC at Cal State Fullerton at Titan Stadium. It is their first match for MLS next pro you can follow lafc2 on twitter and ig at lafc underscore two the number two uh and if you are not able to drive out to fullerton you can also watch the match on your mls season pass i will be at both games saturday and sunday gentlemen are you going to be making a trek out to both stadiums or both games 
I will not be at the game on Saturday, but I think that going on Sunday with the kids, especially, you know, for those of you that haven't been to Titan Stadium, there is a very, uh, the rail and the seating conditions make it very, very intimate feel with the field and the players. I think it's going to be a lot of fun for the family and the kids. And so I definitely think that I'll be bringing my sons to that game. I'll be there Saturday, but I don't think I can make Sunday. So we got it covered. I think there'll be two, two, at least two people at each one of the matches. So two thirds majority. I was, uh, I was really hoping to be more involved in LAFC too, but I think it's going to be difficult with them playing all their home games on Sundays. That's a difficult day to get off, but I will absolutely be there for the first ever game for LAFC two. I wouldn't miss this for the world. So I will see all of y'all out there Saturday and hopefully a lot of you out there Sunday as well too. come say hi to us. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can reach out to us at LAFC S2S on all your social media platforms or find Chris Christian or myself at any one of the games. You can typically find me in the tailgate area, wandering around between our pod fam and district nine ultras. You know, certainly you can find, Chris and Christian in their respective corners of the stadium. Chris, you're you're typically sitting there in the bougie seats mid-pitch. Uh, Christian, I know you're down there uh, south end adjacent under the press box. So uh, we're well represented around the stadium. Come say hello to us. We'd love to have you on the show and tell what? us you how you fell in love with black and gold. Why are my seats got to be bougie? Like I'm not even in the field club, bro. I'm 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 in the Figaro club, and it, it's the least bougie of the bougie seats. Bro, you are on. The very like fifty yard line, if you will, mid pitch. You're dead now, center in now, the circle. Look, three the rows. The quality back. of the seats by far exceeds any other seat in the stadium, and that's my humble opinion. However, when you look at the cost of the seat, the cost is by far the least expensive of the premier seating. Okay, so, so you don't have a private box where you're rubbing elbows with Shavo and the likes of them, but still, I would take your seats over the S tens. Uh, for the van, if you're watching the game, yes. And yeah. if anybody ever wants to say hi, I'll, I'll, I'll find a way to get you in to say hi. Spicy. All right. Looks like, uh, we just ran ourselves afoul of the club, but, uh, Hey, there's an opportunity <laughs> there. Chris, I know you always have extra tickets for match. So, uh, hit always. Up Chris. that's right. That's how you always have the extra tickets, but nobody ever hits you up. I never have extra tickets and people always hit me up and I'm always trying to defer them to you. And they're kind of trying to hit me up for those $20, $25 supporters tickets. And when they, they see the price of your tickets, they tend to shy back a little Yo, bit. Face value for life. And people still ask for deals. And that's what I don't get, dude. Oh, can, uh, you, yeah. can, can, can you do 120? No, I can't do 120. It's already a face value, guy. I'm, I'm going to pay you to sit in my seats? That's not how this right. works, folks. No. You got to at least pay face value. We're not We're not making no money on you. Never. Don't ever make money on selling your LAFC tickets. That's a shameful, ever, sinful act. Ever. We're building the fan base for people. Good. You Thank make, you, Chris. But, but if you want to oh, make money ahead. on it, I can't I can't fault you either. You know, it's like you gotta do what you gotta do. The the you know what the ticket chats on Facebook are almost getting as toxic as the LAFC community chats. Like, ugh. People are just constantly berating people over and over and over again. It's can't be worse than the MASL Twitch chats, though. Oh, bro. Especially when San Diego plays Empire. Oh. They they love they love to come at me. It's hilarious, actually. The San Diego actually, fans, even when dude, we're not they, playing San Diego. They, like, they love to come at Philly. Right? It's true. People, it's true. 
But uh, but Philly also doesn't do himself any favors. He is very, very strong in his convictions. You're not wrong. One of the things I love about the man, but uh, they do. They do. Philly and I have a running list of our favorite comments people have made about us through the course of the season. And it's uh, it's uh, uh, oof, it's rough. You should stuff, laminate man. them. You should laminate them. Put them in a list. <laughs> Bro, this isn't Austin. All right. You know what you you know what you guys should do for Empire is how they uh they do like on the late night shows where they have celebrities come on and read the mean tweets that are said about them. You should just do an episode where where you and Philly are reading the mean tweets that are said about you. We honestly pitched that idea as a matter of fact and uh our producer was like, "No, nah, don't don't give them any more, you know." limelight than they deserve like you know don't because then the trolls are going to come at you hoping that they make it on the next one and it, you're only going to make it worse you know oh bro but, it brings more attention brings more attention older to the... viewers too yeah mm-hmm. right i say it all the time like I, I love all my fans whether you're watching on the tv on a mobile device or from under a bridge we appreciate you so you know sa- same goes same goes across the board here you know if, you, if your eyes are on the sport even if it's because you hate us fantastic you know as long as you have an opinion about us either way, that's that's all that really matters at the end of the day. <sighs> Empire Strikers had a rough week, man. That's, that was that was not fun. They went down to Chihuahua, Mexico, currently third. We went to the number one team, San Diego, also got spanked. Uh, now we're coming back home with uh, with two red cheeks. It was not not a good week for us. Still looks like we're making the playoffs. We're pretty much a lock to make the playoffs. So uh, come on out to the arena. Have fun. It's playoff time. You never know what's going to happen. Guys, hit me up if you want to come out to an MASL game. But uh I think that about wraps us up for episode 150. I would like to sincerely thank Dan Crook for coming on and joining us as our opponent correspondent this week. On behalf of myself, Jonathan, my co-host, Christopher Christian, and of course, sound engineer Wilton, the legend, we'd like to thank you guys all for listening to episode 150. Take us home, Sticks. Shoulder to shoulder. Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay fly in that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.